Hi, I'm Adrian Tan, and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Kanan Chetia, an award-winning global leader with 24 years of experience in the technology and human capital sectors spanning across Asia, EMEA and Americas. He is the co-founder and managing director of Avans, an award-winning HR tech and fintech company that prides in its three business pillars, screen, onboard and develop. Avans helps to screen for the right and safe candidates through background checks and then to integrate the new joiners through comprehensive new employee onboarding solutions leveraging technologies. They then enhance the talents through uniquely differentiated blended learning solutions relevant for the digital economy aimed at surpassing the set KPIs. An engineer by training, he holds an honours degree in electrical and electronics engineering from the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore and an MBA from the University of Birmingham. Hi, Kanan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me. You're welcome. So to start off, maybe you could help me understand what is the current situation in terms of background screening? What is the challenge in background screening? I, I think what, something for people to understand is uh, resume discrepancy is definitely going up. So out of every 10 profiles, about three to four profiles have problems. And, and in this current situation, usually when there's a recession or when there's a economic downturn, people actually tend to inflate their resumes more to secure their job. So the discrepancies can even go beyond four or five every, for every 10. And we've uh, noted that in the past few months, this is happening again, whereby people uh, lie about fake credentials. There could be uh, inflated titles, salaries in the previous jobs. They could be padding up the dates of joining and leaving to make it uh, look like they were continuously employed, but they could have been unemployed for a long period of time. So there's a lot of integrity issue there as well. And then in terms of uh, bankruptcy or maybe civil cases against them, this kind of thing, if they don't declare it, that's also a problem, which is why... Uh, now, background checks have to be very thorough. Just going by what the candidates give to you is not enough anymore because, like I said, the, the pressure of securing the job uh, makes people inflate things or even hide certain things intentionally. And the other thing, the other challenge we have as of maybe because of COVID, education checks and some of the employment checks have become a little bit hard to do. So why? Because a lot of education institutions last year closed during COVID. And there were, there were hardly any backup people to respond to us when we checked with them whether this specific certificate is real or not and all that, right? So that, that's one, one issue. The other thing is employers, again, till now, a lot of them are working from home. There's a lot of hybrid working. So if our client engages us to do an employment or employment performance check on a candidate and where we need to call that can employer, we're just unable to reach them, right? And not everyone's mobile numbers are available anyway. So, so because of these, we have to try a lot of different, different ways get more creative to secure that information for our client because the longer you delay, the harder it will be for them to employ. And we're also talking about while people being uh, while people are being employed, in other words, in, in employment checks, a lot of companies do that as well every six or 12 months. We've also seen uh, things like people would have been bankrupt and then they didn't declare to the employer, that kind of situation. Uh, it could be even like social media checks. And we found that a lot of people were speaking ill of the employer or the management on social media. So which is why now a lot of companies have started doing regular social media checks on their employees, right? Could be every three months or six months. 
So yeah, so uh, again, there's a lot of challenges uh, companies face uh, to do background checks, and but that also means background screening uh, providers like us have to up the game and do more work or help our clients better. But of course, uh, given that those challenges I've mentioned, of course, still exist. There's quite a long list of things that people would actually embellish add in or even modify in their application or resume. So given the long list, what are more, some of the more common ones? So would, would fraud actually be more the common one or would it be just more little stuff like, you know, just lengthening your employment, trying to add one more zero to the back of your last drawn salary? What are more common things that people should look out for? Yeah, so I think there's different types of checks. Let's categorize them as integrity checks and, and high-risk checks, right? So under integrity checks, I would put things like education and employment. These are also pretty important. Like in Singapore, Avance is appointed by has been appointed by Ministry of Manpower to do checks on education checks as well as check whether this university is even real because there's a lot of fake degree and diploma mills before they can issue work passes. And when we do that, if 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 the degree is faked or you know it could be people could be and and this kind of faking is going on the rise. There was ever a Channel News Asia show when I went on air and the host actually faked his own certificate to prove the point. And typical HR might not even be able to see the fake, especially when you're scanning copies over, right? Uh, which is why it's very important to verify the authenticity of documents. And in the and in the last few years, you would have read that there's been upsurge of fake degree-issuing institutes. Some of them could, be, could have been accredited before, and then now they would have maybe lost accreditation, but they don't update it. So these kind of things matter before you issue work passes because... In a lot of countries, there have been cases of permanent residency or citizenship handed over to people based on fake records, which is why this is very important. So it's not a small thing, actually. Then under the safety or high-risk checks, like, for example, criminal civil checks, Interpol checks, or social media, or fake IDs, fake passport, this kind of thing also happens, even among the blue-collar workers. So a person could have entered the country, and then for some reason, they had to be they had to leave, and then they could affect another passport to come into the country again. And we have read all these before, right? which is why very detailed authenticity checks have to be done even on your ID credentials. So I think the risk is the same, whether it's an integrity type or, or security types of checks. But So we can't say which is more serious and all that. But of course, the, ex- the extreme ones we've seen are radicalism. So we have caught radicalists who, are, who have been banned from many countries, including even Singapore, and, and they were able to come in. And, and later on, when our checks revealed that, they had to be deported out. So... So those are the more extreme ones. And of course, the fraudulent activities, for example, if I would do a financial regulatory check on someone or like a, like a monetary authority in your respective country, those kind of checks, if the person was an investor alert or was barred from you know, operating as a trader, these are very important as well, right? So again, there's, you, you can never do enough, but of course, the more thorough you go for it, the more number of years you cover, the better decision making that you can, you can make before deciding whether to hire the candidate or even deciding whether you want to keep that person. Given that all these fakes are so prevalent right now, would there be any superficial telltale sign that HR or recruiters could spot from a replication to maybe get a sense that ah something is wrong here or are fakes so sophisticated now that it is almost impossible to do so? Yeah, so nowadays faking is becoming sophisticated. That's the truth. There's a company we ever caught what they do is, uh, so let's say I'm leaving company A and I'm, I'm joining company B and I give to Avance my details of company A, my supervisor name, my HR name and all that, right? Of course, typically what we would do is we would call into the main line of the company to check that this is a real HR person, real supervisor before we do the verification. But we've caught where this person uh, actually tried to put out uh, this professional company, uh, company's contact. So what does this professional company do? They would understand what you what, what you're applying for, your background and everything, 
and they will actually do a complete fake persona of your of your HR or of your supervisor. So when and when you if you were to call them, if the HR of the company calls them to verify, they would give a complete you know uh, a download of how this person was performing for us and all that. <laughs> and these kind of services are available. It's very shocking. So there are people who can do to be your HR or your supervisor. So and then the other thing is that in those days you I've I've been to the streets in certain countries I won't mention where where I could just pay five US dollars and I can get a certificate from whatever university I want within thirty minutes. But today I don't even need to go down to the city. I can just do it online and they send you a nice a uh, uh, copy of the certificate. So faking is getting more sophisticated, which means we also need to up the game and we need to use a lot of technology. We need to use things like you know AI and big data analytics and RPA automation to do a lot of these things very quickly. So we can also turn it around fast for our clients. So for HR, wouldn't let's say they, they maybe for some budget reasons, or maybe for maybe they just want to do it themselves. They have to go a bit deep, right? They have to maybe do a lot of due diligence on checking on the candidate, what they've submitted, sometimes what they say and what they put in their resume and what they actually fill in in the actual employee registration form. There could be discrepancies. We even have a check called the CV comparison check to check uh, for discrepancies between what they uh, put in the resume versus what they would put up in our screengoer platform. Uh, when they were entering the data for the background screening, so that itself gives you a lot of uh, gaps or discrepancies, right? So if you are to do it, do it thoroughly. Otherwise, just you know, swallow the risk and just go ahead. Otherwise, don't person. bother, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you mentioned about the outsource referee thing, in my head, I'm like, like that also can. Yes. <laughs> That's really interesting and, yes. to have something like like that as a possibility. But on on the note that you mentioned about HR doing it on their own, because based on your description, I can imagine the whole process is quite extensive. It's almost like becoming a semi private investigator. You know, going down the rabbit hole to understand every single little details about the job applicant. But of course, you know, in Singapore context, 99% of the companies here are SME. And given the extensive endeavor you mentioned, it does sound very expensive. Is that the right impression that I should have? No. In fact, the cheapest check is only like $5. So it's really, the, the background checks depend on how many checks you're doing and what country. Like for example, if I were to take a criminal check in, in Venezuela versus uh, Spain versus Italy, the prices are different. Why different? Because there are different regulatory requirements, different kinds of documentations. The sources will charge us differently. The police and the court or any other third-party sources work differently. So it's if you just do a, maybe a, even a very basic social media check, for example, it's 50 bucks, you can get a complete check done including all the Google footprint. Within five days, you have a complete report with all the captions, images, or whatever the guys posted, uh, commented, got tagged in, everything in detail, right? So you're not, you're not talking about thousands of dollars here. But of course, if you were to do uh, maybe a senior level or a high-risk candidate, you want to cover last 10 years, and you want to do like more than 10 different types of checks, and the person has lived in so many countries, then obviously it could become more expensive, like, you know, maybe three to five hundred dollars perhaps. But it's also within affordable uh, range because... It's like buying an insurance, right? The cost of fraud and the cost of attrition even. Usually they would say, uh, there's a a Gallup study which shows that background check people tend to uh, stay within the company for a longer period of time as well. So that was the cost of fraud. We put it all together. We have done a a detailed calculator to show that your ROI is 300% of the cost. Because the cost is really low, but the amount of damages you're going to save is humongous. Not right. It's it's not expensive. And it all starts from just $5. Yeah, so that's definitely something that all companies out there should be looking into. And I think the other thing that I'm interested to find out more, of course, would be in terms of best practices, because I do understand you are actually involved in many different countries outside of Singapore. What are some of the common best practices across all these different countries? And also maybe just some of the bad ones that our audience can learn from. Yeah. 
So to be exact, 150 plus countries, and we keep on adding more and more countries because of our international client footprint across the globe. So obviously, we need to offer the capability on our platform. And and, and the earlier question as well, the SMEs as well. In fact, it's even more uh, important for SMEs to do because one wrong hire can wipe out your a big portion of your revenue for the whole year, right? And 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 in terms of best practices, so every country, even the con- the the what you call the regulatory framework is different. Like for example. In Singapore, you have the PDPA compliant consent that you need to collect. Whereas in the US, it has to be GDPR compliant. In the US, it's FCRA compliant. So it's all it's all very different uh, regulatory requirements. So you can't really do the checks the same way. Like in Japan, Korea is very hard, but there are certain ways of going going by it, which is why a typical HR might not know the nuances, uh, the regulatory differences, the governance framework is also very different. So it, it, it's, it's not straightforward, like just picking up the phone and getting the data, right? And then you also have uh, some other countries would even uh, have a minimum subscription. So they will tell you, well, we only give you data if you want to subscribe to me about, you know, 1,000 cases or 2,000 cases. So we, that's why we, with our economies of scale, we're able to get that kind of data. You're not going to pay for 1,000 people if you only want to verify one guy, right? And then in terms of other best practices as well, you also need to know the cultural nuances. Like, for example, in, 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 if you want to do an employment check, you can't just pick the phone and talk in some countries. You probably will just bang the phone, right? So there's a certain way of doing it. You need to show them the signed consent of letter. If it's in Japan, you need to have a Japanese version. If it's in China, you need your Putonghua version of the consent. So that's a, you can't just act with one document and then try to make it all happen in every country. So it's a lot of differences. The other thing is also the documents needed. So even if I do a criminal check, in some countries, you need to show the address or you need to prove with utility bills. You need ID and passport. So different kinds of documents are also needed for different countries. So to say one best practice for all countries is very hard, but you need to understand that every country functions very differently for the same type of uh, background check. Because this area can be perceived to be quite sophisticated as employers or even companies might not be well equipped to do this on their own. And there are quite a number of vendors and suppliers out there in the market. For, for companies that would be keen to consider getting a vendor like yourself to support, what are some of the screening criteria you believe they should bear in mind in order to choose the right one? Uh, okay, so in other words, when you look out for the vendor, you need to look out for various parameters, right? Uh, or they evaluate the vendors on various parameters. One is, do they have global coverage? If you're going to go to a vendor and, and then the vendor say, oh, I do not cover Namibia, for example, and then you're going to go to another vendor, it's going to be very troublesome, uh, right? So that's one thing. Number two is, do they do the, how, com- uh, in, in, to what level of compliance do they follow and adhere to when they do the background checks? So there's a lot of papa, mama shops, small, small screening companies. Like in some countries, you have hundreds of them. And I'm a key member in the PBSA, a global f- uh, platform for background screening companies. And when I go there to speak and all that, I see there's so many young, small ones. They just live in one small county in the US. Husband, wife, they serve the companies around the region, but there's no platform. Everything's handled by paper. So when you do all that, right, uh, what happens is uh, what if the data gets leaked out? So you're going to get heavy penalties, right? So which is why you need to work with a partner, a vendor who, can, who allows you to order the checks on a platform, right, very easily. And the, and the processes must be automated so it's easy for your candidate. It must be a seamless experience for them. Let's face it, right, Adrian? Nobody likes to be background checked. So if I'm joining a company, the company is going to tell you, hey, you need to go through a background check. They were like, wow, I, I'm not sure what I, what I need to hide, right? So you need to make that experience seamless and easy for them to go into the platform, upload the information so it doesn't become very troublesome or cumbersome for them. The other thing is in terms of all the documents securely, if you just put in a server which is not securely protected imagine what's going to happen to all the data and if it's you not know, somebody hack it which is why like in our case 
We put all our data on AWS. Every quarter we do a vulnerability assessment and penetration testing to make sure it's really secure, right? So, so that's also very important. The other thing is also the service response turnaround time, right? If a check, if a case is going to take you about a month, then, you know, by the time war is over, the next guy would have picked up your candidate. So I think the turnaround time typically for us is about anywhere between zero to 15 days, right? Which you can't help it because in some countries, education employment will take that long. They will not respond to you straight away. If I were to call a previous employer, that employer is not obligated to serve you quickly, which is why you need to constantly follow up and all that. And one more thing is some of the vendors might say, okay, I'll only call the previous employer of your candidate four to six times and I'm going to hang up the phone. That's it. And I'm going to charge you for it anyway. I think that's not fair to clients. Some clients who came to us from other vendors and they said, oh, Kanan, I'm paying for reports and I'm getting blank reports. It's just not fair. So that's why with us, what we do is an unlimited number of attempts unless the company has specifically said that we have a policy not to reveal, even though you have shown us a consent letter. So, so that's where... We would put the information, who said it, what date, what time. So you need a, a partner who gives you a complete trail because you don't want to be ending up paying money and you get nothing back, right? You need complete trail, evidences that this has been worked on and the actual source documents as well. And the other thing is when you work with a partner or vendor, you need to make sure that they are going to compliant sources to do. If they, if they have to do, do it in a non-compliant way, that they have to articulate for you. Like in Cambodia, for example, you can't really do criminal check directly with the police or court. It's just not the thorough way. So you have to go to third-party solicitors and consultants who hold this kind of data. But you must tell the client very openly that this is how we are getting it. If you don't like that, the way you're getting it, then we don't go for it. So in our screenboard platform, we articulate it very clearly. Where is it coming from? What's the turnaround time? What are the documents you need? What is the price? So you need transparency. So that's the kind of partner you need to work with. And of course, there's a lot of other criteria, but and there's different criteria uh, for different industries as well. If you're a banking uh, client, you have different parameter to evaluate. If you're in technology or if you're in a blockchain company, there's a lot of other criteria as well. But I think what I've listed out is uh, just a generic criteria, at least the basic ones before you start evaluating them. And test it out. Put a couple of checks, test out the platform, see how the, how's the whole process. Are there any errors? There should not be if it is automated. How fast it is, how easy it is to use, how detailed the reports are. Are the reports progressive? Do I have to wait for the full turnaround time or can I get some progressive information first? So all these kinds of things should be within your fingertips and then go for the full uh, full uh, engagement, right? Yeah. Background screening obviously has also evolved quite a fair bit from the, the, the period where I started recruitment when we were still using fax machine to email to, of course, having social media coming into play and what you mentioned earlier on, all the degree mills and all that. So based on your pulse or your finger on the pulse of this, this sector, what do you foresee to be the upcoming challenges that would really plague you know, all the background screening companies as well as employees who's trying to conduct a comprehensive background screen? So, so are you asking what are the challenges for the companies or for background screening companies? For, for companies that also an, intend to do their own screening. Oh, okay. So I think, I mean, thanks to technology, there's a lot of ways to get data now. I mean, in those days, you want to do a social media check, it would take you hours and uh, days to get some data. But now, thanks to AI, you can get all the data very quickly. And then our due diligence guys will clean up everything, put up into a nice report and give it to you, right? That's why it takes that extra few days. And then you need to make the cultural adjustment as well. Because in some countries, they have higher bar of uh, acceptance. Some countries are lower. So you need to adjust those things. So that's, that's technology. Actually, there's a lot you can do to help. What are the things to look out for? I think just like how it's helping the, 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 the background screening process, I'm sure technology is also helping people who want to fake it, right? I think uh, documents are going to get harder to... Uh, look at which is why verifying so harder to authenticate which is why verifying with the source is so important i think recently you would have noted a lot of people have jumpy resumes and and sometimes when you actually call the employer you, they didn't even do the 12 months probably eight to ten months right 
So if if employers are going to get flooded with queries from you know other HR or other background screening companies, then this is going to be and it's going to it's going to be a burden for them. Which is why in the banking world, they do have a designated team of uh, people who do this. Because in the banking world, if you don't get background check, you can't even come into water the plants, right? Which is why it's very thoroughly done. Uh, nowadays, there's other industries, technology, government related, all of them are doing it very thoroughly as well. So it's it's very important that you you gotta be you gotta be always on top of the game. You gotta be ahead. Like now we're gonna be releasing a blockchain ledger very soon where you can do verifications credentials in five seconds. So you have to really constantly innovate because you know they always say right the terrorists are always getting ahead, which is why uh, the ones who are gonna be their mob will always gonna be ahead as well. So it's it's like the hackers hackers ethical hacking is even a even a job role now, right? Mm-hmm. So hackers are getting smarter, which is why you always gotta be out, uh, ahead. Otherwise, you're going to be in a situation whereby information is going to be out there or you're going to hire a wrong person, a wrongful hire has come in and damaging the business already. So it's all about leveraging technology. So, But, but just got to be mindful that when you're doing it, they're also doing the same thing because they're also very smart. You mentioned about AI earlier on and AI, of course, within the application, I think in the HR sphere is still a bit fuzzy because in most cases, it's a black box. But it is also definitely very useful in which which is why I believe many companies are applying this uh, onto the solution and in every different aspect. Could you help the audience to better understand how would the infusion of AI in your platform actually help in this background screening process, perhaps giving an example of before AI or after AI kind of intervention? Sure, sure. And I would know this because our the Avance Screen Global platform, we've integrated with a lot of other applicant tracking systems and HRMS platforms and even AI recommend platforms some of the leading ones as well. And we have seen, I know some can even predict what's going to be the loyalty of this person. How, how well are they going to perform? Do they have the right DNA and all that? Which is why I think probably you said it's fuzzy because the more data you have, better accuracy you get, right? But in our case, so, so just, just to decode the terminology, right? So deep learning is about speech and image recognition. It's a subset of machine learning. Machine learning is all about you know, using statistics. You know, uh, It's a statistical technique, which is again a subset of AI. So when I say AI, of course, I, I use it because it's easier for people to, people to understand. But what we're really using here is machine learning. So when candidates input all the data, the system should be able to read it, read all the data. And then based on that, they should be able to pop up the right forms. So before AI, I used to come from a larger background screen company where, where everything was very manual. So the candidate would have entered the data and then we need to go, okay, this guy comes from Japan. Now let's send him the Japan consent form. Then the other verifier looks at it. Oh, he also came from Spain. We did a Spain consent form. The second day, spent another form. Imagine the candidate being bombarded with different documents every day. Already, I'm not happy of being background checked. And now you're making it a hell of my experience by sending me different things. So which is why if the machine learning can read all the data and automatically pop up documents. There's a lot of, there's a bit of RP automation there as well to do that. Some data analytics also, right? So that's why all these technologies come together. And even to guide them, like for example, we have AI chatbot in the, in the platform where it helps you guide based on your requirements, helps you to fill up the forms as well. So this is where, again, otherwise I would have had a, a client services team, a, a person would have be would have to guide them, you know, line by line how to do it. Although it's an intuitive form, but there are a lot of people who are still not very comfortable filling up forms. Sometimes they do need guidance, right? So this is where uh, AI chatbots uh, or virtual assistants can help, right? So that's one thing. That's one thing. And then in terms uh, of uh, in terms of uh, the whole workflow. So in other words, when the checks come in, who uh, who gets it? How do you send it out? How do you do that? The emailing to the verifying or rather to the previous employers. All that used to be very manual, but now thanks to RPA, you can automate a lot of that. So all this automation, right? Of course, it saves headcounts, but more importantly, it's, it reduces the time required to do this, which means it gives a better turnaround time to the customers. 
right? And who are all obviously very eager to get it done quickly so that they can onboard the people, right? And uh, in terms of uh, rapid, when, when you when we do things repetitive, you might make mistakes. Automation, you don't have that issue as well. So I think for high accuracy, efficiency, productive, time-saving, technology is a way to go. And something that I noted for in what you're doing, which is quite unique, in which you are also focusing in learning. How does that synchronize with the background screening part of your business? Yeah. So we are, we are probably the only company who, who does employ life cycle from um, screening to onboarding to development because it's quite holistic, right? Once you get a new person, the next thing you want to do is onboarding. So we don't do the administrative part of the onboarding. There are tons of other platforms we have integrated with to do that. But the actual learning part of the onboarding to keep the, to keep the person engaged, to get them to, uh, to be productive to the floor very quickly uh, in micro learning modules, right? So we have built a five-in-one learn global system, which allows companies to put whatever data, whatever, uh, uh, you know, content they want. For example, even if it's who needs to service a starter model assembly, right? Uh, he could actually learn the videos and then do it himself, upload the video of himself doing it, and then people will social learn from him. And they can even comment, you know, you should have cut step two and gone to step three. So that kind of, that, that's where learning is going because it's all about engaging learning, right? People do not want to be watching a guy talking about how you should be performing or what you should be doing for two, three hours and then do a little quiz. That's out. You need micro modules because people have short attention span and it must be highly interactive as well. And then we've also integrated that with learning. And why that came about is because, so my personal experience, having been in various leadership positions across the last uh, two and a half decades, I've trained a lot of companies in various areas like, you know, it could be design thinking, could be leadership, could be sales and all that. So I wanted to put all that together into this as well so that it, it, it becomes like a seamless journey for the clients or for the learner or the new employee. And because of digital transformation. So when we started doing all these digital technologies in our products, companies approached me and asked me to talk about it. And they said, you know, you, you guys are not just talking about it, but you're practicing it as well. So why did you show us how to do it? So that gave me an idea. Why not convert this into a training content? Uh, that's how my digital transformation using disruptive technologies content came. And even Singapore is now a funded program, our signature program. And that actually helps companies to understand all these complex technologies in a very layman way. And then also on the second day, they actually build a digital canvas map using eight steps digital transformation model that I've created based on the consulting implementation work I've done for many companies. So now what we also do, we just don't train and go. We have a unit now, we have started a technology unit, which actually helps clients understand their needs, understand the vision based on that, you know, based on the gaps or the challenges they face or the waste areas they need to remove from the system. The team will actually help them implement some of these solutions as well. So we have a whole network of partners, like we have Alibaba, IBM, we have a lot of RPA, AI, um, blockchain vendors so we actually become like a systems integrator so it's not train and go away but train consult and help them implement as well and when we do that companies would say you know what that's not enough i also need some digital leadership i want my people to be engaged i want them to go through innovative change management training design thinking so it all works together right which is what prompted me to write an article critical skills for industry 4.0 it's up on my blog it was released a few years ago in a u.s and a uk magazine as well where i talk about the, the soft skills that people need to have or certain specific skills they need to develop because people are worried that the jobs are going away, right? Robo-advisors are there, robo-legal advisors have come up. So what people do, you need to upskill, right? So that's why we built, we already started with the business, but now it's taking a very technology angle as well, or other technology dimension. So when we train clients, we also show how we do it. And we tell them that if a medium-sized enterprise like us can leverage practically a lot of these technologies, you guys should be able to do the same. And, you know, technologies have become cost-effective. An entry point for to, to develop a basic blockchain ledger is even 50,000, you can start doing it. Uh, the cheapest uh, AI chatbot is 50 bucks a month. 
I've got three working for me. They work full time, twenty four by seven. They never take leave. They never take medical leave. Uh, they no always need to working. pay CPF. Yeah, I don't pay for them. Sorry. So you know, this is where world is going, right? It's all about efficiency, which is why any other company of our revenue size will probably will have a lot more people, but be a lot more leaner. Uh, but this also be this also means our people are well trained to do higher order work as well, not the boring work. I think that it's also one of the key motivation factor for me to start this podcast, which is to help educate especially our listeners who might be in smaller businesses the possibility and the availability of tools out there and a lot of these are not expensive like when i mentioned earlier on oh is background screening going to be expensive actually it's not it's only it, it costs yeah. less than a fancy starbucks coffee yeah. so there's really very little friction when it comes to that i'm really happy to bring you on to the podcast again next time to discuss more about the ai and the learning bit but for now maybe i could just wrap it up to understand from you how do you envision the future of background screening as well as learning to be for you and what's next for advance i think the the journey is going to be a lot more companies have started doing it in the us uh, everyone does it so background screen is well understood in the europe not so in asia philippines and india particularly they understand background checks a lot a lot of companies a lot of the bpos and shared services companies do it why because again they're serving a lot of the american companies right but other than that even in developed countries like singapore hong kong australia some of them would never even heard of it let me tell you i mean before i came into this industry 5 plus 3 8 years ago as i was always working in tech companies never really in the, i'm never from the hr industry right i never knew this thing existed but i had problems when i was when i was uh, managing businesses uh, for the companies i worked in I've employed people, and I realized that while wow, this person was bankrupt and is actually going through a divorce, and this person was also let go by the previous very large company because she was stealing from the rest of the colleagues. And I wish I had a way to get through all this, and that was my motivator uh, to to sort of understand there should have been such a thing as called detailed background check because a lot of them do character reference checks, which is really no point. It's pointless because if I, you know, maybe today Adrian, I buy a, a big bottle of wine, and then tomorrow, uh, if my if my previous if my background screening company calls you and you're going to say good things about me, that's already a, a padded padded work, right? It's not it's not truthful anymore. So I think character reference check with peers and friends is not that is holds no meaning, and because of a lot of fraudulent activities we have seen in the past, we have so many examples. Every other day, there's something in the news of an employee did this, did that. And the previous and the current employee didn't know that previous employee let this let this guy go because of you know there's a pending case, so it's getting more and more important, right? Background checks. I think there's going to be more technology adoption. Blockchain is going to come in a big way to do a lot of things better for uh, background screening, and that's going to come into the learning as well. Like today, we're already doing things like uh, augmented reality and virtual reality to onboard someone into a company when the CEO is sitting in Sweden. You know, you can do stuff like that now. So I think learning is also becoming very interesting because. You must understand that our kids all are now learning through in school itself. They have iPads and 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 they've started learning, you know, a lot through technology. So when these guys come out, uh, you got to be really ahead for them to be engaged employees because I think engagement is a big issue, right? So to engage them, technology has to be a uh, has to play a big part, which means learning and onboarding all these will become a lot more interesting, a lot more creative, a lot more innovative. Otherwise, you're going to end up with people who are not motivated. So. Next part of it for Avans. So we just completed our five years. We started off as a, as a HR tech company. We became fintech company as well. Uh, we have taken a lot of dimensions in terms of you know funder training provider, and we have a lot of other aspects of the business. And now we have become going to the systems integrator. So we are becoming like a little of of from increase the stickiness of a client with us, so that they can do more things with us and not just do one thing and walk away, right? So it's like. It's not just a quick date, but we're looking for marriage. So a lot of clients will stick with us for long term. Uh, because as we can provide them a lot of things, so which means we are going to enhance our proposition, but 
again, I'm to me, I talk breathe technology all the time. So that's what I'm going to be leveraging on. I'm constantly on the lookout for new technologies to adopt. Even within the workforce, we have a lot of tools that we use, you know, for, to manage the workforce because it's a remote workforce. I've got people sitting in Philippines, Brazil, Canada, India. Even within Singapore now, not everyone comes to the office. So it, you really have to leverage tools. I mean, you yourself have talked about this in many of your blogs, right? Adrian, I've seen you talk about it very passionately. And I think you understand that this is very important. So yes, so you look out for us. We're going to be do, doing more stuff in this space, but, but there's going to be a lot of tech talk. That's awesome. Really interesting to know that there is a very interesting development over in your space. But before I let you go, what you mentioned earlier on also piqued my interest in asking you another question, which is on skills over certification. So traditionally, and maybe even until now, uh, especially in Singapore context, many companies tend to rely on the the, the degree, the, the paper certification to justify whether they even want to speak with you. But of course, in, in again, in Singapore context, we have Skills Future Singapore. We have a lot of emphasis on trying to drive up skills, trying to showcase what you can do. Where do you see this space developing? And also, how would an individual or how would companies be able to evaluate whether the skill set is actually something that this person is able to apply versus then just him or her listing it in. Because it is so much easier to say that, oh, I know HTML because I took a course on Udemy. And you can verify I have the Udemy cert, but I could just easily sit through the entire video and randomly press any buttons on the MCQ question just to pass it. So how do you see this space, this space evolving? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this. I, I have talk, I've spoken about this in uh, on TV. I've spoken about this on newspapers and various platforms as well. Even on the, one of the business times, I think they asked about it and I gave my opinion, quite bold, uh, loud opinion. Maybe some people would have liked it, but but I, I'll express what is on my mind. I've, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, people who have a lot of degrees and certificates. You know, yesterday there was one resume came in. I'm hiring a senior consultant. He has like 25 certificates he listed out. And I'm sure he's really maxing out whatever his funding or whatever he has. But you know what? When you come to actual application, like somebody, a lot of people now get digital marketing certificates. But when you ask them the step one, how to start, they just stay into the space. So getting certificates now to me, I mean, of course, it's important. At least we know that they have, they have some basic knowledge. But my advice to all the employers or people hiring, don't go by what they put down there. Because I've seen so many situations whereby, you know, I've, I've, they have the knowledge, but they don't know how to apply, which is why even in our own training programs, we make sure there's a huge, uh, at least about 40% of the time, application is what I, I, I pay emphasis to. Knowing academic theories and models and all that, it's I'm not a big fan of it. I've got two degrees myself, but but I just don't believe. And, and I think my engineering degree, which I got in 1996, is probably worth a piece of paper, not even worth to wipe the table anymore, I think, because everything is outdated <laughs> now, right? The technologies have moved on and I know I did my MBA in a university in UK, but if I were to take that back and look at it now, there's nothing about digitalization there. There's no digital leadership. So I think it's all about applying. So the, your, 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 your interviewing has to be a lot more thorough. Like in my case, when we do, even though we're a medium enterprise, we do have about five rounds of interviews. First is a, uh, even if it's less a hiring for a salesperson or a consultant, right? Uh, first is, of course, a quick chat and let them walk me through their, res- uh, through their whole profile. And you and you know what? I, I never really read a resume in detail because a lot of them copy paste a JD from the internet and put it there. I, I think this is uh, everyone knows this, right? And then if they can't talk it through, you, you within a few minutes, if you're experienced interviewer, you can tell that you can really say whether this guy owns what he has put on the resume, right? And then second thing is uh, in the second round, I would um, make them do a plan, submit to me a plan, a 30, 60, 90, or maybe a very high level business plan. Again, this also can be lifted off the internet, but when they present it, that's where you know you can really see through whether do they really know what they're talking about, 
right? Plucking data from screenshots and putting is very easy, but talking through is the hard part. And in the third round, we even do a professional writing, you know, email scenario interview, and it could be even a, even on a you know Zoom or Skype chat or whatever. I right? put the question and see how they quickly react. And you'll be amazed how many how, how people fumble because resumes have been all grammar checked and everything. But when you make them write on the spot, then you will know. Because today you know that professional speaking and writing have become so important. The guy who articulates himself or herself well, verbally and, and in written form, is the one who's going to get the job, right? Because if you have a lot of ideas and you can't articulate them well, you're going to have difficulty working for any company, right? So that's a very, very, very important skill set. And at the fourth round, we all, I usually bring them out for a peer-to-peer with others and see, you know, what kind of synergies and get more people feedback on the person. And the fifth round, I'll bring them out for a beer or a coffee or whatever, right? And see how they perform outside of office environment. But this is more for commercial roles, right? If it's an IT or technical role, then of course, you can ask them to develop something and give it to you. Um, maybe a very simple one. Uh, it could be, that's why assessments are very important, but you have to do it on the spot, right? You, otherwise, people are helping you. I ever saw, was in a situation whereby a twin sister in Australia was interviewing for her, her other twin and then when you hired the twin apparently the client told us she didn't process anything she talked about during the interview so this is a very interesting case right whereby your smarter sister did the interview got you the job but when you went in there people could see that you know you cannot do it so you know people are very smart about these things and, and you, it's very important it's, it's, it's crazy people do anything to get a job so it's really an amazing example <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then when we did that and within the first uh, few weeks they already realized what it was but you know you have to be very smart about these things when you're interviewing and uh, uh, in terms of checking people out you have to be very thorough because you know one wrong person can wipe out months of your work i think no one has the time now time i mean, to, I mean the year just started is already mid may you know time flies so imagine a person comes in sits there for three six months don't contribute you know it's great so yeah, have to be thorough. That, 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 that's my um, mm. basic advice. Yeah. Have to be thorough and of course, uh, not to place too much fixation on the quantity as well as the paper certification that this person would have because it is not an indication of future performance. I just yeah. learned yesterday that the CEO of SPH has three master degrees. See where yeah. that took up. So, yeah, military and science uh, dig- masters as well. But today, he's all over the news. Everyone's talking about him, right? So it's all not about degrees anymore. It's about you as a person, what you can do for the company, right? And what you can mm. do for yourself. There are a lot of people even unsure what they want, which is quite sad. In Singapore, I, I also think a lot of people feel very entitled that, you know, the government should take a better care for me. But you know what? Compared to a lot of other governments, Singapore government is already doing a lot, a lot for individuals, for company owners. I think we are very fortunate to be based out here with our businesses, right? They are, they're already doing a lot. But then... But you, you you should not be going through motion just to collect the certificates and not learn anything because employers are not stupid. They will be able to see the application part of it when they interview you. So please don't go through whatever documents they give to you. Like what Adrian, you said, you can get do a few MCQs and get a cert. So and I and usually don't have much uh, regards for people who collect a lot of certificates and put it up on the the resume. It really means nothing in today's world. Again, coming from good schools, top universities also doesn't mean anything in my opinion. Uh, because it's what you do with it. You could have come from a very normal university and you could, you know, if you really can stretch what you've learned and apply and do wonders with it, that's what matters. So I really don't belong to the uh, uh, school of thought that, you know, your children must only be in the top schools and all that because I've seen, I've seen people who are toppers than me and, and then where, where they are right now. So it's all about you. It's all about your uh, hunger in the belly. It's all about how you are going to be out there being street smart. So, yeah. So don't, don't, don't be clouded by list of certificates and top-end university degrees and diplomas. Yeah. 
I put a post on Facebook recently in which I wrote, the greatest teacher in life is doing. So yeah. for people who are interested to or contemplating about collecting certs or even badges and all that, I guess the key thing here is really about doing. Because by doing it, you have a portfolio. You can prove that you've done it before. At the very least, you can write an essay about how you've done it. So either way, you're going to have a lot of evidence there, which is definitely going to impress people uh, who are looking to hire you or at, at the very least impress Kanan here because that is what he just shared with you in terms of the five <laughs> rounds that <laughs> you have to go through if you were to apply for a job at his company and importantly impress him during the final round when you have beer with him. Kanan, with that, thank you so much for your yep. time to come out onto this podcast. Extremely glad we have this conversation to learn more and I will hold you up to that beer when you, we are available to catch up around Pasaris. Uh, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.